For our sermon this morning, we are continuing a series of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews, uh, not to recap everything we've said, and this is now the fourth time we'll look at the book, but we're taking little sections of Hebrews as we work our way through the book. And this morning, we will look at the latter half of Hebrews chapter 2, which is so rich, and I cannot do justice to everything uh, in the passage, but I will draw our attention to a, to a few important things. Uh, beginning with this, in recent days, you are no doubt familiar because your TV and your newspaper has been saturated in recent days with the announcement of the death of a queen. And with the loss of a queen comes a history-remembering moment of the pronouncement of what? A new king. And so the language on our TVs and in our newspapers and on our computer screens has been about crowns and thrones and kings and queens. And as we read from Hebrews chapter 2, you're going to see that's language from that text. It's language that should perk your ears a little bit as things are said about Jesus pertaining to crowns and thrones and new kings. So who is this Jesus? Who is this King Jesus? Give your attention to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. A long reading, but a beautiful one. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, 
He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray that God would show us the beauty and the hope of having a good king. Let's pray. Lord, would you show us this morning King Jesus? Would you show us the wonder and the awe that we should have in having a good king? Would you show us, Lord, what it is to have faith in him? And would you give us a strength of faith to persevere in Him. And we pray this together in His name. Amen. So those of you of a certain age will remember that in 1990, someone by the name of Garth Brooks found reason to sing about the good news of having friends in low places. Right? I've got friends in low places, and everybody loved to sing about our friends in low places. Well, this morning, I want to begin by telling you the opposite is true. The good news for us, what the author of Hebrews was offering his original audience, which you remember, we don't know who they were, but we do know their condition. And that is, under, under persecution, they were thinking about letting go of Jesus. And he's writing them with a warning of do not make the mistake of letting loose of Jesus. Don't neglect him. Don't ignore him. Because he is your friend. He is your advocate in high places. Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And so this morning, we've already sung about it. We sing about the truth that we have a friend in a high place. In a holy place. And he is our advocate. He's our maker, he's our defender, he's our redeemer. Somehow, he is our friend. And that's the good news that causes us to sing. I have three simple points this morning. They're all from the passage, and I can't do justice to the depth and beauty that is in that passage. It is amazing. I said this last week. It is amazing what this author is able to say the beauty that God worked in and through him as he was divinely inspired to tell us from the Old Testament and revealing in the New the wonders of having a good king. And so those three points this morning are simply this. King Jesus, he reigns, he redeems, and he returns. And those should be three themes that encourage us, not just this morning, but this week. That is, that's my hope. So King Jesus, he reigns. 
The author of Hebrews has made the case in his opening comments in chapter 1 and those first few verses of chapter 2 that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the exact representation of God and that He has surpassed angels in power and might. He has surpassed the prophets in His revelation and in His authority. And now in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 2, he says that Jesus is in fact crowned with glory and honor, with everything being in subjection to his authority and being under his feet. And the author does this by referencing Isaiah and the Psalms. That's where he reaches back and gets his content and rightly applies it to Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of old and he is the walking embodiment now resurrected of all those promises made to his church. And the author of Hebrews, in trying to encourage perseverance in these people, it's important to realize what he does. He reaches backwards to those books of the Bible that we tend to not read, that sit on our shelf and get dusty, those Old Testament books. He reaches back there and brings the promise and assurance of the gospel forward to encourage those who need perseverance. And he does it by saying Jesus is crowned. He is king. He's a king of glory and honor. And so when you make a first point for a sermon like, King Jesus reigns. So I make my outlines during the week and they change by Saturday at midnight many times. And so last night I'm like, King Jesus reigns. Hmm, does that got enough pop to it? Maybe I need to tinker with that. Will that stick? Will people get that? Or will we yawn at it? Oh yeah, Jesus reigns. Jesus is in charge of everything. Like we're bored with that news. As if we're bored with that announcement that is made to us in Scripture. No, we should never yawn at the amazing good announcement that Jesus reigns over everything. may sound like a Sunday school point. may sound simple. But it's a simple truth. It's a profound truth. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants his people to meditate on. Jesus, King Jesus reigns, and that is no truth to yawn about. Listen to what is said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 and following. Christ is seated at his right hand of God in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Again, beautiful language packed with gospel truth that should encourage you. We have a king and his name is Jesus and everything is under his feet. Can you marvel over that truth? 
Your life circumstances right now, though you and I may grumble about them, they are under the feet of King Jesus. They are your circumstances and my circumstances because he was pleased for those to be our circumstances that we might look to him in faith to show his goodness even through hardness. Your diagnosis, whatever it may be, and most of you have one, is under the authority of Jesus. He is pleased to somehow glorify himself and to show you his goodness, ultimately, through whatever diagnosis you have. That's how Christians think. That's how we have to think. Our hope is in King Jesus. It is not somehow skidding through life, avoiding every diagnosis, as if that were possible. It's not skidding through life, avoiding conflict, difficulty, tension, awkwardness. It's just not going to happen. But King Jesus reigns over every circumstance of our life. One author says this, this news of God being sovereign, a sovereign king. If God is not sovereign, he says, then he's not God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is sovereign? That He sits and rules over every square inch of everything. And we're to find comfort and hope in that. Now remember who He is speaking. The author is speaking these words to. It's to Christians who are under persecution, who are suffering, and they're losing their livelihood, all the things that they enjoy and like. Possessions are being taken from them. Hardships being pressed on them. And they're starting to think, well, if I could just disassociate from Jesus a little bit and from this new kind of worship and all this new emphasis and maybe move back into the kind of worship I used to do apart from Jesus, life might be better. It might be more comfortable. And to them, he is saying, Jesus reigns over your circumstances. Don't distance yourself from the king. Get closer to him. And I would say to you the same. Do not ever distance yourself from the king or his court, his people. Draw near to him. Draw near to his word. Draw near to his worship. Draw near to his people. Otherwise, the warning in chapter 2 last week was you may find that your heart hardens, that you begin to ignore these promises and withdraw and retreat from his people and from his worship. And that is never a good place to be. The author says all things are subject to King Jesus. They are his subjects under his rule, under his reign, visibly under his feet. They are a type of footstool. He also says that is true even when it doesn't feel like it. He says in verse 8b, though it may not appear that all things are subject to him, you may not see it. You may not realize it. And isn't that true? Don't you and I sometimes think, well, Jesus reigns, but whew, not over this. This can't be under his authority. That's not what he says. He says all things are under the authority of Jesus. And that is good news for us. This morning, I want to help us see the good news 
of how Jesus reigns over everything. He even reigns over your heart and the stubbornness of your heart, the coldness of your affections and your emotions towards Him. He has power. Do you know this? He has power to subdue the coldness of your heart. And perhaps He already has. If you're professing faith in Him, then He has. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about Jesus subduing our affections of our heart. He says, we are... Now, this is a Baptist saying this. Let me preempt it with that. This is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, Baptist pastor of old. Listen to this. We are chosen by God according to the good pleasure of His own will, and this alone is blessedness. Then... Since we cannot and will not come to God ourselves, He works graciously in us and attracts us powerfully. He subdues our unwillingness and removes our inability by the almighty workings of His transforming grace." Do you hear what he's describing? He is describing God. He is describing King Jesus who has power to rule over your cold, hard heart. And this morning, I want to emphasize that's the best news you can hear. He can overcome the coldness of your heart, the stubbornness of your heart, the stubbornness of your will and mine. That's what he's in the business of doing, subduing people to himself, Winning people. Like the hymn, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. Uh, we, we didn't sing that today. We could have, but, but listen to these lyrics about the reign of Jesus. Jesus shall reign where? Where'er the sun does its successive journeys run, his kingdom stretches from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. And poetically, what he's saying is where does Jesus reign? Wherever the sun runs its course, where sun and moon and stars are, He reigns everything. Amen? Our King Jesus reigns, and that is good news. That is nothing for us to yawn about. Point number two, King Jesus redeems. King Jesus wins and woos and saves Sinners, And he does it in only the way that he can. The author of Hebrews now makes the case to those who have been thinking very little of Jesus why they need to think again. Because they are at risk of neglecting and ignoring so great a salvation, which is their only hope of forgiveness of sin and their deliverance from holy judgment and from death. Let me say that again. He is saying you are at risk, the original audience, for letting go of the one who is your only hope to spare you the just judgment you deserve for sin. Are you sure you want to let go of that Redeemer? That's what he's saying. And those words would apply to us just the same. It's what every Christian has to be reminded of. We've got to draw near to Jesus We've got to persist in our faith in Him. Otherwise, our hearts will grow cold and grow numb, and we could be at risk of neglecting so great a salvation. 
Listen to what's said in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 10, it says, Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And that's Jesus, King Jesus the Redeemer. He has destroyed death. In verse 9 of Hebrews 2, it says that He tasted death for everyone. In verse 10 of King Jesus, it says, He brings many sons to glory. A line that we just sang in a hymn, how deep the Father's love for us. In verse 14, he says, King Jesus destroyed death and destroyed the devil. And in verse 15, he says, King Jesus has even destroyed our fear of death. Now, let me sit on that for just a moment and ask that uncomfortable pastoral question. Has the fear of death and disease been destroyed in you? Ever? At all? Maybe for just a moment? Or are you paralyzed by fear of, of diagnosis and of ultimate death? Now, that's, that's serious language. That's the language that he's speaking of. He's talking about death, the death of death, the death of the devil, and death to the fear of death. That's three things that he's alluding to there. So we need to apply this to ourselves. Do, do you live as a Christian with confidence that, okay, today may be the day I get a diagnosis. And if I live, I live for the Lord. And if I die, I die for the Lord. So as the Apostle Paul says, whether I live or die, I belong to the Lord. Is that strange kind of confidence a part of your life and your faith at all? Because it can be and it should be. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying to these people. This is a gift that the king has given his people. This mysterious confidence. And sure, it may wax and wane in our own hearts. Sure. But have you ever had it? Have you ever tasted it? That the king tasted death for you, that you would not need to fear it. Richard Phillips says in his commentary on this passage of Hebrews, a long quote, but a beautiful one. Listen to this. Are you one who feels held in bondage by the power of fear, by the power and fear of death? Or are you free from the chains of its fear, knowing that death is the doorway to eternal life in God's presence? If you have relied on Jesus, you have been set free from death's sting. This is what Jesus achieved on the cross. Freedom from the fear of death. Through faith in Christ, you can exult in victory over the fear of death. As the Apostle Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that good news for what it should be? You have a king. If your faith is in him, he defeats death, he defeats the devil, he even defeats our fear of death. And that's nothing for us to yawn at this morning. These are promises that are true for God's people who have faith in Jesus. Is that you? 
Are you a person who has that kind of faith in Jesus? Can you hold on and persevere in your faith through whatever calamity, whatever persecution, whatever hardship comes? He's giving us a recipe for what to hold fast to, for what will matter. And it's all about confidence in King Jesus as our Redeemer. Then he says two more things in this passage. In verse 17 of King Jesus, he says he is a merciful and a faithful high priest. And if you track what he says in this passage, he says two things of Jesus that remind us what we already know from elsewhere. That on the one hand, Jesus is that perfect sacrifice that the high priest would offer. He's the perfect lamb. He's the perfect blood shed. But he's also the perfect priest. The one who offers that lamb. He is the full picture of redemption from beginning to end. And he does it willingly. He does it sacrificially. And the author of Hebrews says he does it mercifully and faithfully. So our King Jesus, the Redeemer, he is merciful. He is faithful. And we need to hear that for the good news that it is this morning. Jesus is everything of our redemption from beginning to end. He is the sacrifice. He is the priest who offers it on our behalf perfectly. And then in verse 18, he has this beautiful little phrase. Of King Jesus, he says, and he is able. He is able. Now that's a short little phrase, but I, I, I want us to highlight that for a moment. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you needed help. And you thought of, who could I call on? Could they help? Do they have the knowledge that I need to inform me? Do they have the resources that I need to help me? Do they have the power, the strength to provide for me? And that question is, are they able? Because, you know, sometimes somebody may be willing to help, but not able to help. They don't have the resources. In Jesus, our King, do you understand we have someone who is both able and willing? And maybe you've called on somebody who could help before they were able, but they weren't willing. And you're like, nah, I can't get to you now. I'll get to you later. We have a sympathetic, empathetic high priest who is both willing and able. And we should doubt no more, says one of the hymns that we sing. He is able, He is willing, stop doubting. Start believing this good news that's been offered to us in King Jesus. The author of Hebrews wants these people to grasp their sin predicament and to see the good news of what they have in Jesus, quite simply. With the threat, with the warning of don't you dare give up on the one hope that you have. Persevere in your faith. Don't let loose of Jesus. He is your only hope. So yesterday, Saturday, busy day, full of activities, somewhat related to sermons, somewhat related to something called college football. But I get a text message from a text group that I've been in for years, and it's, it's my old college roommates. There's five of us. I've probably told stories about them before. But we're talking about the game that's coming on later yesterday evening, and everybody's chiming in. 
And then finally, one guy who hadn't responded to anything sent a text of a picture of himself. And he said, well, I'm able to catch up now. And he, he was, it was a picture of his legs. He was in bicycle shorts. And he said, I'm stranded on the side of the road in New Jersey, 25 miles from my house. Now, I'm not a bicyclist. Some of you are. But I know enough to know that's a predicament. You're 25 miles from home on the side of a busy road. And he says, I have a flat tire. And then he explained that he actually a mile earlier had had a flat tire and had fixed it. But now another mile down the road, his other tire went flat. And his, his inflator uh, tip broke, he said. So I get this text, and I'm like, wow, that's, uh, that's quite a predicament to be in. You're on the side of the road. You've, you fixed yourself once, and you made it about a mile, and you found that that wasn't enough. And now your self-fix effort is just broken. You can't, you're, you're out of tubes, out of tires. You're out of inflators. You're in a predicament, right? Now, you see where I'm going with that. The biblical story of our redemption is we are in, we're in a sin predicament, y'all. We can't help ourselves. We can try. There's all kinds of self-fix methods and efforts, but we don't have the resources. We're not able to fix ourselves. And so the story finished like this. We're like, well, what happened? I texted him late last night. How'd you get home? He said it was pretty embarrassing. He said, I had to, my wife wasn't home, so I had to call my father-in-law. <laughs> what could be worse? Hey, father-in-law, I'm on the side of a road 25 miles from home. Would you stop what you're doing and come get me and my bicycle and carry me home? But you know, when you're in a predicament and you know it, when you need to be delivered, you'll make that phone call even to your father-in-law. You'll finally call for help when you know you need it. And these Hebrew Christians needed to know how bad their predicament was. That there was one person who could help them. And the worst thing that they could do would be to say, I just can't make that call. I got too much pride to, to call out to the, to the Lord for help. I'll fix this. I'll find a way. Even if I have to carry the bike home, it's not going to happen. King Jesus, he reigns over every detail of our lives. King Jesus redeems, and he does it mercifully. He does it faithfully. And we have to call on him and bury our sinful pride and look to him to be the redeemer that he says that he is. And the third and final thing, the quick thing I'll finish with, is King Jesus returns. And you know, that's the rest of the story of the Bible. Some of you old enough remember the rest of the story by Paul Harvey, right? Where he would amaze us telling us stories of someone he'd reveal at the end, and now you know the rest of the story. Younger people don't know what I'm talking about. I remember as a young child listening on the radio, my parents would listen to this. And now you know the rest of the story, he would say. Well, the rest of the story of the Bible is that King Jesus will return. He will come again in glory. And that's good news. Our king returns. It is a story of the return 
of the king. And the author of Hebrews is saying to these Hebrew Christians, don't let go of your only hope in the only one who will return for you and who can deliver you. How could you walk away from him? He would say, how could you walk away from him? Now, every week there's different songs that come to my mind, and sometimes they're Christian songs. Most of the time they're not. But uh, in 1981, Phil Collins, you know that name, Against All Odds, let this song be stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Phil Collins in a song called Against All Odds, and there was a movie that I never saw called Against All Odds. Here's the refrain that was in my head. It's a husband singing to a wife or a man singing to a woman. And they're splitting up. And he says to her, how can I just let you walk away? Let you leave without a trace. And he goes on and says, take a look at me now. Don't you see that I love you? I care for you. I want to be with you. And it's a song that pleads how can you leave this relationship? How could you walk away from me when I love you so much? And that song came to mind because that is the plea of the author of Hebrews. How could you just walk away from this God who has loved you, made promises to you, offered himself so freely to you to be your one true hope, to be delivered from death and the devil and the fear of death? How could you just walk away from that? And his hope is to appeal to their hearts with truth. Not just to appeal to their hearts with feelings, but with truth. To say, how could you walk away from this Savior? This empathetic Savior who laid down his life for you. Hold fast to him by faith. Persevere in him. Don't let go. And you will find it to be good and blessing for your soul. Let's pray that that would be true of every one of us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, that is our prayer and our appeal for one another and for ourselves. That we would see that you are both able and willing. And that we would doubt no more. Because you truly are able. Lord, would you work in us, every one of us. If, if anyone here this morning has been discouraged if they have felt their heart growing cold towards you or distant towards you and your people and your worship and your word, Lord, would you warm them with these truths, being reminded of your promises to your people? And would you work faith deeply in us? We ask it and we pray it to our high King of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.